When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. On the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. So it's one nothing St. Louis. First period against Chicago. Anaheim and Nashville. Scoreless after the first period. That is game six. Anaheim trying to win the series. Blue Jays up 5-1 on the White Sox. Middle of the sixth. Your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call 310-GLASS today. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Randy Moeller out of the Florida Panthers broadcast booth will join us in about half an hour to break down a good but ultimately disappointing season for the Florida Panthers because they were eliminated by the New York Islanders. Quine at the red line to Oposo, right wing over the Florida line. Tavares, right circle, walks in, shoots Luongo the save, rebound, Tavares, throws it in, and scores! John Tavares has won it in overtime! And yes, 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 the Islanders have their first playoff series win in 23 years! And there it is. Yeah, a long overdue playoff series victory for the New York Islanders. And the man who called that goal and gets to keep working is Chris King <laughs> from the New York Islanders radio play-by-play booth. Chris, you're on with Reed again. How are you doing, man? Great, Reed. How are you? And I'm just sorry I couldn't get excited at all. You know, just uh, had to low-key that one, obviously. <laughs> yeah, just another day at the office for you, yeah. right? Uh, well, I, 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 well, there was, there's already a, uh, an article or a blog about dissecting instant history there's there's already a blog about you looking back on that call uh, what's how many it's, it's times amazing. have you heard it's amazing how fast the world goes today though but i think you're referring to uh yeah neil best of newsday who's uh kind of the uh you know the media columnist actually did a really nice job of uh you know touching base with me this morning and kind of asking me you know my side of things and what went into that and uh, kind of the behind the scenes story but yes it's uh it's kind of taken on a life of its own and uh you know it it's really nice i got to be honest it's uh you know you you just hope to get the call right especially in overtime and you know to have it like in my lap basically in our location at Barclays Center and the way John scored it uh, made it very easy to get it exactly right, and then that's all you hope for as a play-by-play guy. Now, is this yes, yes, yes thing? Is that the thing from the from from pro wrestling? You know what? It actually started in pro wrestling many years ago, and, and this is the origin of it. But last year, in the final year of Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, there was a group of fans up in Section 329 that called themselves the Blue and Orange Army. Well, one of those fans happened to love the wrestling, uh, the wrestler who actually did it. Daniel Bryan is his name. And he started doing it in one section at the Coliseum. Well, sure enough, that section did it. Then the next section, then the next section. And before you knew it, after every goal the Islanders scored, the entire building was doing yes, yes, yes. And I think it really hit a peak when John Tavares last year in New Jersey scored an overtime goal in a regular season game, and then he did it 
on the ice to the fans who were there to represent the Islanders on the road, and then it just took on a life of its own. Suddenly it was, you know, the players will do it, yes, 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 back to the fans when they win from the ice in the center circle, and then, of course, it carried over to Barclays Center, and it's just this really unique bond between the fans and the players that I think is, is pretty, you know, alone as far as the league is concerned. I don't know of another situation where the fans and players have this thing that goes back and forth, and I had not used it at all in a call ever, and I said, you know, if there's any uh, chance for me to do this in a moment that's, you know, pretty big, well, let's try to do that. And you know what? 23 years, I think, was long enough to wait. <laughs> and I think I was speaking for all the fans with, with the yes, 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 when it was just, you know, finally, 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 the drought is over. You know, the longest drought in the league without uh, winning a playoff series is now history. Yeah. Well, and they and they get to go on. And I want to talk about the next series uh, in a minute. But, I mean, look at, looking at the, uh, the, the Islanders' season, and, man, they – Crushed the Oilers that uh, that one afternoon game. A good day for the Islanders. Yeah, the, the Super Bowl Sunday yeah. was uh, you know Islanders by a touchdown. That was not pretty. Yeah, yeah that was a bad one for for Edmonton. I mean, I mean, I I, I picked Florida to win the series. I, I found Florida a really compelling team to follow, but again, it it's so tight. There was only a three point difference, and and three of these games went to overtime. What do you think ultimately gave the Islanders the edge? I think overtime. And Reed, there's just no doubt about it. Again, you mentioned it. First of all, of the six games. Five of them decided by one goal. The other one was one goal plus an empty netter. So essentially all six games decided by one goal. The Islanders had a one-goal win in regulation, a one-goal win in a single overtime, and two one-goal wins both in double overtime. So, you know, to me, they can't be more evenly matched than they were. But I really think it was the Islanders, you know, recent experience in overtime, which Florida has not done well at at all in their entire history. They won two overtime games in 1996. They haven't won one since. So they've lost now, I believe it's, eight overtime games in a row, whereas the Islanders, you know, uh, in the 2013 playoffs, had two overtime games against Pittsburgh, lost them both. Last year, against Washington, had two overtime games and got a split, but kind of went to school on, you know, what it takes to win in overtime, and, uh, and you know what, really got it done this year when you had three overtime games and they win all three. Chris King joining us tonight, play-by-play voice for the New York Islanders, and I, I believe I just looked up and saw cheering fans in St. Louis. Yes, Uh-oh. two no- right. two nothing for the blue. Oh, the St. Albert kid, Colton Pareko, gets wow. uh, gets the goal for the Blues. So they're in control of that one. We'll see if they can they can close it out tonight. Give me give me a sense of of uh, of the Islanders' form going into the the postseason because there's that whole well you want to go in hot and you want to peak at the right time. Did you get that sense from this team going into the, the first um, round? Yeah, not exactly, Reed, because they had uh, one real clunker down the stretch, which was a 5 nothing loss at home to the Pittsburgh Penguins where they were just flat-out awful and really kind of put them behind the eight ball. So they had to rally a little bit. Actually, that very next game was an impressive 5-2 win over Tampa, and that kind of put them on a little bit of a roll. Uh, finally, with, I believe it was, yeah, three games remaining in the regular season, they went into Washington, D.C., and again in overtime. Thomas Hickey scored a goal in overtime that finally clinched the playoff spot. Then they were able to rest their guys in the final two games, which they both lost, and I've kind of, you know, thrown those games out because Jack Capuano rested, you know, five players each in those games just to get ready for the postseason. So they were better than they were last year going into the playoffs, but still not on any type of role that you'd want to be. 
going into the postseason, and the biggest question mark was Thomas Grice in goal. Here's a goaltender that hadn't started a single game in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and all he was was, outside of John Tavares, the best player on the New York Islanders for all six games. He was simply phenomenal, and again, the biggest question mark going in, the biggest positive coming out. Well, now I'm glad you brought up Grice, because I was going to ask you about him anyway, and goaltending, I mean, look, I've I've never seen a team win the Stanley Cup with at least above-average goaltender, and, and a lot of times the, the, the Stanley Cup winning goaltender wins the Conn Smythe Trophy. And I was talking with with with, uh, with Brendan Ulrich from our station here in the first hour about Braden Holtby for the Capitals, and you just know you're going to get good goaltending night after night. And probably going into this series, you would have said, well, Florida's got the advantage in goal. And that's the area, honestly, Reed, that's the area where I thought they had the biggest advantage because, you know, you can lay it out otherwise, and they had a good mix of young players and veterans, and they do have a terrific team, but that was the one glaring area where you said, oh, my goodness, the Panthers have a huge edge in goal, and it turns out, in the end, you know, Grice was a little bit better than Roberto Luongo in, in some nights and a lot better on others, especially because, you know, you look at the five overtime periods Grice played, he didn't allow a single goal. You referenced Tavares, and obviously he got, well, a couple of big goals, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, I mean, look, we we have to talk a lot about number one draft picks in this city because there there are four of them on the Edmonton Oilers. We were talking about Alexander Ovechkin with Alan May in the, in the last half hour. Not all number one draft picks, despite all being number one, are created equal and, and develop at the same rate. And I'm not suggesting John Tavares hasn't had previous past seasons, but you know, good previous past seasons. But was there something about him that was different this year? Has he more, you know, rounded into that really special type of player here at the age of 25? You know what, Reed? I would say not in the regular season, to be honest. He didn't have the greatest regular season. I mean, he had, you know, 70 points in 78 games. A year ago, he, you know, lost the Art Ross Trophy to Jamie Benn, with less than 10 seconds to go in the season. You know, he was sitting kind of as the clubhouse leader and looked like he was going to be the league's leading scorer. And then Jamie Benn puts up a four-point game and picks up a primary or a secondary assist. It was actually with eight and a half seconds left in his final game to nip Tavares for that. And remember, John twice before has been a Hart Trophy finalist for the league's MVP. So regular season-wise, no, it was not one of his better seasons, to be honest. But it seemed like down the stretch, I mentioned that Tampa game where, you know, coming off a terrible loss to the Penguins, they actually put Franz Nielsen on his line for the first time ever. And again, I've covered this team for 22 years now. Franz has been here 10 years. I'd never seen him play a single game at left wing. Well, all of a sudden, just to get John Tavares going, Jack Capuano says, let me see what will happen if I put Franz Nielsen on his left and Kyle Oposo on his right. Well, he went on an unbelievable tear. They played the final four games of the regular season together, the first four games of these playoffs, and John had 16 points in those eight games before he actually broke them up just to try to distribute his scoring a little better. So I think, you know, the run we've seen him go on here in the postseason, and last night was the best example of just putting a team on your back and saying, I am going to will myself to win this game. I mean, he ties it with under a minute to go with a goalie pulled on the bench and an extra attacker on the ice, and then he wins it in double overtime. You can't. You know, you can't do any better than he did last night in, uh, in the biggest moment in franchise history in the last 23 years. He was the biggest player. All right. L- let's look ahead to uh, Lightning Islanders here before I let you go, Chris. No stamp coast for the Lightning. Again, speaking of top yep. picks. And maybe, again, a series where you would look at and say, oh, Tampa Bay has a pretty big advantage in net. Uh, I think we haven't done my picks yet. I think I'm going to wind up taking the Islanders, though, just because I think they're deeper up front. 
Well, it, it's interesting. No Stamkos, no Strawman, and Anton Strawman, you know, got hurt in a game against the Islanders when Anders Lee and he were battling in front of the net, and I broke his leg in that battle. So, but I just, I, I really, you know, think it's a tough, tough matchup for the Islanders, and should be a great series because of what I saw, you know, the Lightning do to Detroit in that opening round. It just seemed like Kucherov was on a different level. Obviously, he was their leading scorer in that series. Suddenly, I know Drew ends up and playing very, very well. You always have Hedman on defense and, and the big guy in goal in Ben Bishop. The interesting thing, though, is the Islanders fared very well against Ben Bishop in the regular season. The Islanders actually went 2-1 and one against the Lightning. They won 3-2 to two down in Tampa. They really beat him up in their only Barclays Center appearance where they beat him 5-2. to two. And even in the lone Tampa win, it was a 4-4 game with 10 minutes remaining in regulation before the Lightning blew it out. So I know Bishop has been terrific. He's going to finish up uh, as the runner-up, I think, certainly to Braden Holpe for the Vezina Trophy. But they've had good success against Bishop. And uh, I think it should just be a terrific series because of how well Tampa played against the Red Wings. And obviously the Lightning are the rested team as they finished uh, last week on Thursday. And the Islanders wrapped up uh, late last night after almost pushing it to midnight again, which they did and midnight and beyond in game five. <laughs> All right, and the, and the Lightning will have home ice, right, even though they had fewer yeah. points? Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. In, in this round, it goes by division standings. The Islanders had 100 points, Tampa had 97. But in this round, in the first round as well, it goes by your position in your division standings. So the Lightning were second in their division. Islanders were fourth in the Metro, and that's why it'll start down in Florida this week. All right, have they, have they set a start date? They have not. No, they have not because uh, I think they're waiting to see if there are any further Game 7s, obviously with a couple of series still to play their way out, and there's some building considerations in Tampa. There's some building considerations in Brooklyn as well. So um, I think we're thinking it'll start either Thursday or Saturday because the Lightning Building, uh, Amelie Arena, does have a concert oh. scheduled for Friday. So, I mean, outside chance of Wednesday, uh, Islanders are actually going down tomorrow just in case it would begin Wednesday, but there is still potential a Game 7 to be played on Wednesday night, depending on what happens in that, that game you referenced earlier tonight, the Game 6. So, uh, you know, the betting man thinks it's going to start either Thursday or Saturday with an outside shot of Wednesday. Okay, perfect. Chris, kept you a little longer than I meant to, so thanks for being <laughs> so generous with your time. Yeah, interesting story the Islanders this year, man. We'll do this again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Reed. Always great talking Stanley Cup playoff hockey. And as Chris signs off, we have a goal by the Chicago Blackhawks, and of course I looked up just in time not to see who scored. Uh, it look, looks like they got the camera on Marion Hosa, so Chicago right back in it. I'll give you the details of that one when we get back. It is 719 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Yeah, it was Hosa with the goal for Chicago. He nearly got another one. Just seconds later as he drove into the net off the right wing, but the first period ends with the Blues up 2-1, and man, that is a big one for Chicago. We'll keep you posted, of course, throughout the evening. Ducks and Predators are scoreless. Eight minutes into the second period, and the Blue Jays tonight, oh my. Their lead now 5-4. The White Sox have scored three in the top of the seventh to come back. Uh, Stroman was cruising along, but he got roughed up a little bit and pulled in the top of the seventh. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 6.30. Chet, yeah, fun night to be following the playoffs, as I'm sure Chris from Phoenix is doing. But he's still taking time to call. Hey, Chris. Hey, uh, not really. I, I can uh, just listen to you guys, and I'm working right now. But I'm, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> 
I don't think that the Islanders are going are gonna to be as close as uh, their announcer thinks against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think uh, Tampa Bay's got better defense and better better goaltending, and I think Grice will be exposed. Um, as far as the Oilers and the draft, I will be listening this Saturday. You will get some uh, some phone calls, some uh, some uh, reaction. Hopefully, the Oilers can uh, can get in the top three and, and draft uh, one of uh, Matthews, Line, or whatever however you say. Cooley Arvey, yeah. Um, and I think. I think the Oilers are probably a lot closer than some people might be giving them credit for. And I'll give you two teams uh, that uh, I can compare somewhat. Uh, one is the, is the aforementioned Islanders. Uh, the moment they uh, they, they got uh, Boychuk and Letty, they became a much different team. And I think if we can somehow squeeze uh, and, and, and acquire Hamannick and, say, spitballing out there like a, a player like uh, Votnin out of uh, – out of Anaheim, I think those two players are better than Boychuk and uh, Letty. And then the other team, uh, which is pretty funny because I, I kind of laugh when they made this, uh, these acquisitions, these signings, it'd be the Washington Capitals when they got uh, uh, Niskan in and uh, Orpik. Yeah. And that transformed that, that, that team into, uh, they were already a playoff team, but it transformed them into a much better team. And I think if, if the Oilers can get that shutdown defenseman, which Hammondick is, and he's looking like a stud in the playoffs, and then uh, that puck-moving uh, offensive defenseman that, that, that isn't just offensive but can actually play in his own. And then uh, with one of these uh, these players that uh, is the top three, which apparently are, should make the NHL from, from all accounts. And then uh, we, we have we have some, some assets to move. And then also uh, I will kind of disagree with that. I kind of disagree and agree with uh, with Brendan over there. Um, I think that uh, the dry cycle is very, very close to being the uh, the second uh, best asset on the Oilers team next to uh, this uh, first first round pick, just because of his size. He's a center, and everybody loves those uh, those six foot plus, two uh, hundred pound plus uh, centers that can uh, that can score and, and pass. And the kid is, is a monster in the uh, in the corner. So that's all I have, and uh, hopefully the Oilers can get better, and, and hopefully uh, this time next year we're. Uh, well, that would that would be good, and, and you, I mean the the point about Drysaddle, I think, is is well taken. Oh, Chris hung up already. Uh, I mean, Drysaddle wound up playing seventy two games, right? Because he started in the minors, and he had fifty one points. Now we talk a lot about his drop off in the second half of the season because basically he was one of the top two centers most of the time when he played, right? If he could have been in a little more of a depth role, you probably would have been pretty happy. With 51 points in 72 games, but 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 uh, you know instead Leon gets a little bit of criticism because he wasn't able to keep up that pace. Uh, that, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Drysaddle's valuable, a big guy, and I, I don't think. He, here's what I think about Shirelli. I, I I don't think he can look at anybody as untradeable, including Leon Drysaddle. I, I just I'm going to go with the standard line that I've been going with for the last two or three months. What are you afraid of, Oilers fans? Finishing 35th? You can't get any worse than they've been six of the last seven years in the bottom three. So, what, they've had two lasts, two 29ths, and well, I, can't, I can't even keep them all straight. But anyway, uh, they, you can't look at anybody as, as completely untradeable except for McDavid, but I, I'm sure you want to hang on to Drysaddle because what if he continues to develop and really gets to use his size and we know he has good vision? Chris is right. He is a pretty valuable asset. It, it's just 
The thing is with the Oilers, with the best players, you're still talking more about potential than performance. And some of the players who are still young, but, you know, in the, in the earlier wave of the rebuild, if you want to call it that, and I hate using that term, but just for simplicity, I mean, Nugent Hopkins didn't have a good year. Even, even though he was injured, his point production when he was healthy wasn't good enough for what he should be bringing. So then a little more had to fall on Dry Slato's shoulders. The one thing that Chris said, Chris believes that the Oilers are closer than a lot of people think. Probably closer than I think. I guess if we're talking about contending for a playoff spot. But that's that's what Shirelli and McClellan feel. That a one or two decent defensemen change the look of the team more than anything else they can do this summer. That appears to be the approach. And if they're going to get those defensemen, they better be experienced because, again, some of the defensemen that a lot of you like are still pretty young and are going to take time to reach their potential. And I, and I know a lot of you are sick of waiting here. Randy Moeller from the Panthers broadcast booth next. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. Okay, so Ekholm has a goal for the Nashville Predators. And the Predators lead the Ducks 1-0. Five and a half minutes left in the second period. 2-1 St. Louis over Chicago. That is after the first. The Anaheim game is game six. The Ducks are up 3-2. Of course, Chicago and St. Louis is game seven. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's 7.33 inside sports on 6.30 Shed. Thanks for tuning in tonight. In a few minutes here, we will get to Randy Moeller, play-by-play voice for the Florida Panthers, who... Had a pretty good year. Got a lot of people going as the season went on. Yager, incredible, but they couldn't get it done against the New York Islanders. Kellen Kennedy is our studio producer this evening. Kellen, how are you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. How are you doing, Reed? Doing great. So there you go, wrestling. Mm-hmm. Thanks to, what is it, uh, Luke Bryan, Daniel Bryan? Daniel Bryan. Luke Bryan's Luke, the country yeah, singer. I was going to say. And uh, Daniel Bryan is the wrestler. Didn't but, he retire, though? But they both have beards, so there you go. That's probably where you... Got it mixed up, right? No, I'm probably just mixed up. <laughs> thanks, thanks for trying to make an explanation uh, for anyways, me. I'm just mixed up. Uh, yeah, he did retire at the beginning of this year. Wasn't he the February. champion last he, year? He was the champion in 2014. He was the champion at the Mania that I went to in New Orleans. WrestleMania 30. He and now, won a championship there. So, so did he lose his championship, or did he lose it because of his medical he, issues? He lost it because of medical issues, unfortunately. I think he only had, like, one title defense of the belt, and then they had to take it off him because he was hurt. So, so his shtick was the yes, 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 That's where right. he points skyward. Yeah. And the crowd goes, yes, yes, yes. And, yes. Now the, the, and now the New York Islanders have adopted that. Which, because Daniel Bryan is now retired, I would not be surprised that if the Islanders make a couple more rounds, like we're talking conference finals here, Stanley Cup, could we see Daniel Bryan at Barclays Center leading the yes, yes, yes chance? Well, I think he should have been there already. What are, they, what are they waiting for? Exactly. Um, I can tell you that Saturday, September 10th, no details announced yet, but th- that'll be the date for a public open house for Rogers Place. Saturday, September 10th. And there will be events in the building before the Oilers play a regular season game there. The the Rogers Place will not open with the Oilers' home opener. There will be Oil Kings games. There will be Oil Kings games. 
there will be probably a concert or two or three or four, maybe some other type of uh, large event. I mean, I know there have been a lot of unconfirmed rumors about... I, I don't even want to say them because I don't want to get, you know, but but some some other kind of huge event coming to Edmonton. So, but Saturday, September 10th, will be the open house for Rogers Place. So what do we got? It's almost uh, May, May, mm-hmm. June, July, August. Yep, four more months. This is like four and a half months away. That's right. People are going it, to, it'll be pretty much done. So you want to start lining up for that open house probably August 31st because well, it'll be a popular day, September 10th, to get in there and take a look at the new... I, I just want to say, I don't approve of any of you spending <laughs> 10 and a half days outside, okay? don't You don't have to listen to Kellen Kennedy. No. By the but way, I, but you I, know there's going to be one or two people set up in a tent outside so they're first in line for that thing. No. Well, possibly. Possibly. Uh, by the way, remember that uh, story? Am I am I extra echoey today? Is there something going on in here? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. So maybe I just sound that way to myself. Mm-hmm. It's probably earwax. Yeah, uh, Calgary City Council wants the uh, Flames to explore less expensive locations and options for a proposed new arena and football stadium. Of course, the Flames also own the Stampeders. A city report says the current proposal that also includes a field house would cost $1.8 billion dollars. The Flames have been invited to respond to that report, and Chief Executive Officer Ken King says he looks forward to doing that. We're looking very much forward to our response. The opportunity to give it is uh, is great, and uh, and you might be surprised at some of the uh, observations that we might make on the same subjects. All right, and King also saying that the organization will address concerns over costs. We now know specifically and precisely some of the issues that they're concerned about, so we can uh, hone in on those and we can deal with them on a direct basis. All right, so the, the Flames are going to uh, address the report at a meeting in June. Here's Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Certainly, I think Calgary Sports and Entertainment should have the chance to try and address some of the questions and concerns and see if they can be met. I'm not optimistic on that, but I also think that what Council did today was start up a conversation about seeing if there are any other alternatives. All right, so that will be an interesting story to follow. Uh, We had Jock Wilson from our station down the highway, News Talk 77, explaining some of that stuff on Friday. If you missed it, you can go back on the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com and find that. You can also subscribe to the Inside Sports podcast. But basically, the Saddle Dome is old. Well, it was built for the 84 Olympics, obviously. The McMahon Stadium is really old. And get this, they do not have a field house in the city of Calgary. In the entire city of Calgary, they do not have a field house. But Jock Wilson said the third priority out of those three is probably McMahon Stadium. So the Stampeders might be stuck in a a, a pretty old stadium, but uh, it'll be interesting. That's a that's a huge price tag. There's always that debate about public money and how it's going to be paid for. We went through that painfully here in Edmonton. Uh, it was a pretty frustrating process. I I think both sides, the Cates Group and City, really screwed up at times during separate parts of the process. I mean, I think what well, wasn't the original proposal that it was going to be done in 2014 that we would already be I mean when it was first first came up I think it was supposed to be done for 2014 and this would be year three of the building I recall that yeah yeah Yeah. so it got delayed it got done 
Uh, this tends to happen in all cities, and then once it's built and, and you're in there, you tend to just move on and, and, and you occupy the building. The White Sox have pulled ahead of the Blue Jays 6-5. That game is in the bottom of the seventh. The Florida Panthers, after a very good regular season, eliminated by the New York Islanders. Randy Moeller calls the games for the Cats. Randy, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Oh, Reed, it's great to be on with you. Yeah, well, thanks for making time for us. And, uh, man, uh, what a series to call with uh, with three games going to overtime. But uh, i got to tell you, I, I thought the Panthers uh, had what it takes to miss uh, to, to, to win this one, but it just shows you how close the margin can be in the playoffs. It certainly was. and But unfortunately for the Panthers, they only scored 14 goals in six games. And one of those six games, they had four. That was the first game. So if you take that away, just – they're averaging just two goals a game offensively in the um, in the last five games of the series, and it's very difficult. Roberto Luongo played outstanding, gave the Panthers an opportunity to win every game, but the Panthers, as you mentioned, just came up short and played three overtime games, the last two in double overtime. It could the the, the series could have turned the other way very very quickly. I, I want to ask you about some of the individuals on the team. Um, who, who I thought had very good seasons, but again, won't, we, we won't get to enjoy watching deeper into the playoffs. Roberto Luongo, uh, I, I mean, I guess we keep hearing this guy is on the downside of his career, and but uh, he never seems to want to show us that that's actually the case. He was really good, wasn't he? He certainly was, yeah. He gave, as I said, he gave the Panthers an opportunity to win every game, and that's all you can ask your goaltender to do. And we've seen around the league, and especially in this playoffs, we've seen – Hot, hot goaltending, and we've seen some suspect goaltending as well. So, But, no, he was very consistent. Roberto Luongo, even though he just turned 37 years old, he's a young 37. He's healthy, happy, and uh, he's ready to go. And, you know, he'll be ready in October as well when, this, when the puck drops for the next season. What is it like to not just watch him play, but just to be around and cover Yarmir Yager on a daily basis? Well, he's amazing. You know, he had 27 goals and uh, this season, and you know he's up there leading the team in points pretty well all season long. And an amazing athlete, a dedicated athlete, uh, good role model. Um, it was just unfortunate that he was unable to score in the six-game series against the New York Islanders, and he had chances. Um, in game number five, he had uh, four shots and nine attempts. It was one of those series, though, it just seemed like, and, and give the Islanders full credit, full marks. Every time Yager got that puck and was set up and down low and where he comes out from behind the net, they always seemed to be able to get a stick on it or a shin pad or a skate and deflect it. And then when he did get his shots on goal, how about Thomas Grice, the Islanders' netminder? He was uh, with he and, uh, and uh, John Tavares. They were the reasons why the Panthers are – are booking tea times uh, rather than going on and playing in the next round against the Lightning. All right, so what, what's your gut telling you? We, we keep saying one more year for Mar- Yarmir Yager. We've been saying that for about 10 years. But but do you think there's one more year here for Yarmir Yager if it's not with the Panthers somewhere in the NHL? I'd be very, very surprised if Yarmir Yager is not in the NHL next year, and I'd be very surprised if he's not in a Panther uniform. They, they, he he likes playing with Florida. He likes playing with Barkoff and Huberdeau. I think he enjoys the atmosphere. He, he likes the ownership and the and the coaching staff management. I think there's a lot of positives for Yarmer Yager to play in South Florida. 
with the Panthers. Um, and I hope he's back. Uh, he was a very good influence, like I said, 27 years or 27 goals. But that's to rely on Yarmer Yager. I'm not quite sure that uh, you know he, he he's a great great asset to have in your team. But the Panthers need a little bit more offense besides Yarmer Yager. Well, and that's interesting you brought that up because when you and I talked earlier in the season, I mean, you spoke pretty highly of a lot of the younger guys. Uh, you know, Barkov, just 20. If I remember correctly, you were pretty big on his game. Um, some younger forwards, Huberto's 22. Riley Smith, who I like a lot, is, you know, 25. So he's getting more towards, I guess, those those prime years. Are, are those the guys, the three I mentioned, maybe someone else that maybe sort of have to grab the torch, so to speak? Yeah, I, I think so. And and uh, another year of experience. I I can't tell you the value of these players. There was I think twelve players on the Panthers roster for the playoffs that played their first uh, NHL playoff experience. So they they've gained that experience, and they're they're going to be better players for it. Um, I love the way the the, the maturation of, of the Barkoffs and the Huberdos, and you mentioned Riley Smith. How about Vinny Trocheck? Phenomenal year and uh, missed the last 10 games or eight games of the season uh, with that ankle injury. But uh, he came back in the playoffs. He'll, he'll have the confidence going into next year. And then the offense from the blue line, Ekblad, and we just saw the revelation of one Mike Matheson. Wow. This kid has only played eight games in the NHL total, five in the playoffs, and he really showed the uh, offense and the talent that he can bring and pair it up with uh, Aaron Ekblad. I think these two are going to be paired up uh, for many years to come. And then you got Gabranson and Kulikov. Uh, It goes on and on. So the Panthers are in pretty good shape. But I think to answer your question, a lot of the offense should come from the blue line like a lot of teams. A lot of teams, you look at the upper echelon teams, and that, that blue line is, is one of the big reasons why the, that team is, is one of the highest-scoring teams. Randy Moeller joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. He's the play-by-play voice for the Florida Panthers, who, of course, have been eliminated at the hands of the New York Islanders. You know, we sit around at this time of year, and, and I don't have a vote, uh, Randy, but, but individual awards. I wonder if Gerard Gallant is uh, is your Jack Adams winner, or at the very least in the in the final three. Oh, I, I, I'd be shocked if he wasn't in the final three. Uh, he did a phenomenal job this year. Uh, very even keel, doesn't get too high, too low. Prepares his hockey club. He's got a great coaching staff as well, and Robbie Tallis and and uh, and and on the goal that handles the goaltenders, he did a phenomenal job as well. Al Montoya had a great year as the backup goaltender. But yeah, Gerard Gallant should uh, he should render a, a lot of votes. But obviously, Barry Trotz in Washington the season that he is he has performed and and that I mean he'll uh, he'll get lots of votes. Well, Peter Laviolette with the, with Nashville. There's there's a number of of different ca- candidates. How about Lindy Ruff in, in Dallas? What he did was shaky goaltending all year long. Um, the season that they had, uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. So there's a lot of candidates, but I know the Panthers are very happy with Gerard Gallant. He did a, he did a great job in managing this young team. They've got a very young team, and then with some some very grizzly veterans that that really help. This, they don't have a lot of uh, middle-aged hockey players on this roster, but uh, they like what they have. And But we'll see a different hockey team, a different Panther team come fall. All right, and i got to ask you uh, for a bit of an Edmonton connection here. How did Teddy Purcell perform for the Panthers uh, since the trade from Edmonton? 
he he played well. He played well, and and it was uh, it was the one thing they had to make adjustments though is because he was playing with different sentiments. But you know, Benny Trocheck, and then you had Nick Bugstad, and back and forth and that. But no, Teddy Teddy played well. He scored some big goals down the stretch, and he had a he had a big goal uh, for the Florida Panthers um, in uh, game number um, uh, game number what was it four. I think for uh, in this series, so no, he played well, played very, very well, and uh, uh, yeah, there's there's a player that uh, they can you know as an asset, whether he's going to be with the team next year or not. But I, my vote was he he played very well. All right, well, I got to say the Panthers became uh, for me one of the more fun teams to follow as the season went on, which I which I wouldn't have expected at the start of the year. So, Randy, thanks for the updates. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they look for next year and if they're able to uh, take another step forward as they move along. Really appreciate the updates throughout the year, man. All right, thanks, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Randy Moeller checking in tonight, play-by-play voice for the Florida Panthers. And while we were doing that interview just a couple of minutes ago. Andrew Shaw on the power play, and now with 15 minutes left in the second period, Game 7 is tied between Chicago and St. Louis. The Hawks will not go away. This one's going to be fun to follow for the rest of the night. Can also tell you, we got a uh, 2-1 Nashville lead now, Kellen? Yeah, that's correct. Ekholm and Neal have uh, scored for the Predators and Ryan Kessler from Perry and Fowler picks up uh, the goal for the Ducks. So a couple of good games going on. That one is now after two periods. The Jays trail Chicago 6-5. That's in the top of the eighth. You can text us at 630-630. The open line 780-496-0063. Some WHL talk still ahead as well. Cam Moon, play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, will join us to update that conference final. That's in the next hour. It's 749. Encore Trucking, lift and transport specialists available 24 hours a day, every day, anywhere. We're the smooth operators. Check our website, Encore with an E, because we're bilingual in Alberta. EncoreTrucking.ca This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Matt Hendricks joins you on Inside Sports on Friday. He'll leave, uh, I believe he said he's leaving on the 30th to go play for the United States at the World Hockey Championship. Canada wound up fourth at the under-18 tournament that wrapped up over the weekend in North Dakota. Canada losing the bronze medal game 10-3 to the United States. Tyson Jost from St. Albert. He plays for the Penticton V's in the BCHL. He's going to attend North Dakota in the fall. He's a likely first-round draft pick for the uh, draft in Buffalo. He's going to join us between uh, 8 and 9 tonight as well. He wound up breaking Connor McDavid's record for the most points by a Canadian in that tournament. Man, good game going on in St. Louis. A lot of pressure from Chicago. They have tied it 2-2. And I, I think the winner of this series beats Dallas. Uh, I know what Dallas did in the regular season. I know they can score. Uh, I just don't know if they're quite built for a, a long, the long grind of the playoffs as as well as they should be. And Chicago. I mean, wh- what do you say? That, I mean, that's that's the beauty about the sport about sports, right? You can look at the stats. You can look at who's hot going into the playoffs. You can look at the best individual players, but there's something to be said for know-how. There's something. I mean, 
the the Washington Capitals. This is their second President's Trophy in the last few years, right? 2010, they won the President's Trophy. What happened? They got up three games to one on the Montreal Canadiens, and they lost the series to a, you know, judging by the regular season, a vastly inferior Canadiens team. And Capitals didn't know how to do it. And I know we're talking about one of those intangible things. I can't point to it in in a column on the stat sheet. All you can do is point to the scoreboard at the end of the game and see, yeah, somehow the little things this team did added up to the win. And I think a lot of it for me is the, is not panicking and realizing that if you're going to try to win 16 out of a maximum of 28 games played over a two-month period against other teams that are also really good, you're going to have bad shifts, bad periods, and sometimes full-on bad games. And you will stick to what makes you a good team. You will not panic. You will not overly adjust. You will not take in silly penalties. You will not go out of your comfort zone. And that sums up the Chicago Blackhawks, really, of the last, what, six years. And St. Louis, a team that, look, it's 2-2 in Game 7, so I'm not writing off St. Louis. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean the one game, the last, the, what, Game 5 went to overtime, right? And, what, the Blues had the lead in the last game, mm-hmm. right? And Chicago keeps coming back. You you. You can kill them. They're not invincible. You just don't kill them very easily if you're going to do it. And I think the winner of this series is better equipped to beat Dallas. Yep. The Blackhawks are like the zombies from The Walking Dead. You know, you can get rid of them for a short while, but they just come back at you, right? So. Well, they're different zombies in The Walking Dead. Yeah. I, I would argue that zombies are easier to knock off than the Chicago Blackhawks. Sure. Maybe that's. An, I didn't think you'd be making that comparison, well, Kelly. May, Kennedy. Hey, maybe but if you insist, maybe that's the uh, <laughs> team name that they're going to give the new Las Vegas. The Las Vegas extra- Zombies yeah. would be a heck of a team. There the uniforms could just be all splotchy. Neon green. By the way, did green, you, and green and red. Did you see that they are bringing back? Uh, you're a child of the '80s, right? Yes. Uh, do you remember the old high C ecto cooler beverages you could buy? When I the, do not. When the uh, Ghostbusters movie came I out? I do not remember those. Well, they're bringing them back. Well, there's a new Ghostbusters movie coming. That's out. right. So that, that's, yeah. that's fitting. Uh, 2-2 Chicago and St. Louis. Twelve and a half minutes left in the second period of, uh, of Game 7. Some other notes today. Braden Shen from the Philadelphia Flyers will have a hearing tomorrow for a headshot against the Capitals' TJ Oshie. So... Even though the Flyers' season is over, you still could see some discipline for uh, Braden Chen, which it's a, if it's a suspension, it would obviously kick in for uh, next season. No team, no team uh, violated the CFL salary cap, which was $5.05 million. It'll go up to 5.1 for this coming season. I see people are still angry. We mentioned it on Friday. People are still angry at Chris Jones mm-hmm. for having his uh, the video of him taking the Grey Cup in his hometown of South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, wearing a Saskatchewan Rough Riders jersey. Yep. Even people in Calgary are defending, not defending, but saying that that was wrong and he should have worn a logoless jersey. That, that not was a, a shocker logoless me, yeah. shirt. Yeah. And, and not worn a, a, a... Well, he did not win the, the Grey Cup as a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. No. And he no longer works for the Edmonton Eskimos. So he probably just should have gone. Well, he likes black. Why didn't he just wear the generic black outfit? Oh yeah, that he that he always wears. Anyway, I'm not I'm not too upset about it, but it's kind of funny. 
Coming up to the 8 o'clock news, of course, we'll keep you updated on the scores. little WHL playoff chat with Cam Moon when we get back. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.